Amen. Well, you can have your your Bible open to Acts chapter 4 as we study this text together. And uh, we consider what happens in light of this powerful event, the healing of this lame man in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've experienced something powerful in your life or something exciting, and you've had the, the privilege of sharing that news with someone else. The, the joy of you know, walking into the room and being able to say, Oh, I can't wait to tell you what happened. Something exciting has gone on. Maybe a birth announcement or a new job or just a big life change that has taken place. It's hard not to talk about those exciting events that happen in our lives. This is kind of what we watch happen in the lives of Peter and John as they begin to testify the exciting thing that has taken place, as they begin to testify to the power of Jesus' name. If you remember back in Acts chapter 3, this man who had been lame even in his mother's womb. His legs had been deformed and before birth was not going to be able to walk at any point in his life until the name of Jesus Christ through Peter and John and by faith it was Jesus who healed this man. And in Acts 3, Peter had already had the chance to sort of preach to the crowds about what had taken place and the power of Jesus' name. But In Acts chapter 4, we find some resistance. And so we'll see as we work through this text, there are those who hear the power of the name of Jesus Christ and believe, and there are those who resist. What reminds us of today is that if we have experienced the power of Jesus' name, no, maybe not the healing of our ankles so we can walk again, but transformed lives who, by faith in Jesus Christ, have experienced the salvation of our soul. We, too, must testify, proclaim the power of Jesus' name, salvation, by one name alone. So that's our theme today as we work through this text, as we learn from Peter and John and their example here in Acts 4, that we must proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. And this will become clear as we work through the text. There are really uh, sort of four parts to this story, and each one reminds us of the importance of proclaiming salvation in Jesus' name. In the opening verses, verses 1 through 4, we're going to end up seeing two responses to the preaching of Peter and John, not only to the miracle, but what they're saying, they're preaching. The the priests and the temple guards and the Sadducees, we'll, we'll talk about all them, but they're actually disturbed by this preaching about the power of Jesus' name. And so they actually bind Peter and John and put them in prison, and yet the word of Christ cannot be bound. And at the same time, while these priests and Sadducees are putting Peter and John in prison, there are as many as 5,000 who trust in Christ and come to faith in the power of Jesus' name. And so we see that the good news of Jesus brings repentance and also sometimes resistance. See, when the truth about Christ is revealed, there will be those who hear the word and believe, whose 
receive it with tender hearts and trust in Christ, but there will also be those who resist. And we see that clearly in verses 1 through 4. Notice as we just walk through these verses. Acts 4, 1. As they're speaking, this is Peter and John, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees come upon them. And verse 2 reveals that they were greatly disturbed by what Peter and John were preaching. Specifically, in verse 2, it's that there was resurrection, new life in Jesus Christ. That Jesus had raised from the dead and that this life was available to those who believed in the name of Jesus Christ. And so the priests and Sadducees are disturbed by this. Well, we need to understand about a few things about the priests and Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of people who were uh, kind of a high class of Judaism. They all claimed to be descended from the line of the priest Zadok. And you can kind of hear the similarity of Sadok and Sadducee, right? It's similar consonants where they, they trace their lineage to this priest. And so they were sort of proud of their priestly lineage. Now, not all Sadducees were priests, but they were proud of their priestly lineage. They kind of viewed themselves as the you know, aristocracy, the higher lineage of Jews. And because of this uh, power, many of the Sadducees were on the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the ruling council of Israel. And some of the Sadducees were also priests. And so there was a close connection between the priests and the Sadducees, the, the priestly line of Zadok and those who were priests, and they were the powerful ones in Israel. Many of them on the Sanhedrin, uh, and many of them had this connection with Rome. Now, the Pharisees were different. They weren't of the priestly line. They weren't priests. They were different. They followed the law very carefully, but they were often opposed to Rome, and they believed in things like resurrection, The Sadducees, however, they enjoyed their power. They actually denied the other books of the Old Testament. They only believed in the first five books, the Pentateuch. And so they denied the resurrection. They didn't believe there was any resurrection of the dead, Jesus or anyone else. They didn't believe in the spirit realms. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any of that. Uh, And they were very loyal to Rome because that's where they got their power. Now, within Judaism, priests naturally had a degree of power. By God's ordained law, the priests were the ones who represented the people before God. So when sins needed to be forgiven, they came to the priest. The priest was a sort of mediator and oversaw worship. So it's the priests, the Sadducees, and then the last group mentioned there is the captain of the temple. Well, he was basically employed by the priests. He was the guard who made sure there was no disturbance in the temple, and he would usually have a few guards under him. This is like temple police, you could think of it. And so this is the group that comes, those opposed to resurrection, those who want to keep their power. They come, and they're disturbed that Peter and John are preaching that Jesus was alive and that life is available to those who believe in Jesus' name. So they arrest them, as we see in verse 3. And uh, they delay the trial to the next day. You remember from Acts 3, the healing took place around 3 p.m. And so it's getting late enough in the evening now. They don't want to do the trial. They put them in prison overnight. They're going to do the trial before the Sanhedrin tomorrow. 
But as this group resists the message of Jesus, at the same time we have verse 4, where Luke shows us that even though there's this resistance and they arrest Peter and John, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now, we don't know for sure exactly how this is being counted. If this 5,000 is 2,000 extra on top of the 3,000 that came to believe in Acts chapter 2. Or if this is a new set of 5,000 people, it could be that. It also only mentions the men, so that like, you know, we think back to Jesus' miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, which if you include the women and children would have been even far more than that. So again, we just don't know exactly the total number here, but this is a huge number that have heard the word and believed. And so even while the messengers are being arrested and put in prison, they cannot stop the message of the resurrected Christ. And thousands hear the word, and believe. So even here, we see the power of the good news of Jesus. It brings repentance and resistance. And as the priests and Sadducees don't want to have their power torn away, they resist the message, but the power of God is greater, and thousands come to faith in Christ. Good news of Jesus brings repentance. When something big happens, you know, we, we watch it. Maybe it's even shocking, something surprising, something you never expected. You, you sort of have two options there. You either have to believe what your eyes are seeing and sort of adapt your life. Be like, okay, well, that just happened, so here we go. Or you can just kind of reject what you saw, and deny that it happened. This is sort of what we're seeing happening with the Sadducees and priests. Rather than just saying, wow, okay, this is happening. Jesus is alive, and there's power in His name. They reject reality. I remember one big surprise in my life uh, was when I lived in an apartment before I was married, and uh, I was at home in the evening, and it was kind of rainy outside, and uh, I don't remember what I was doing, reading I was in seminaries, so I was probably doing homework, uh, something like that. And, uh, you know, it was just a pleasant evening. I, I walked into the kitchen to grab a snack, which is one of my favorite things to do while reading, and uh, I noticed some water starting to spill in uh, underneath my front door, the door to my apartment. And I, there's this, like, moment where I'm, like, kind of watching this happen, sort of thing, like, Am I seeing this right? Is there really water coming in the front door? Like, no, that can't really be. I mean, there would be water coming in the front door. That's crazy. I live in an apartment. What in the world is going on here? And I'm like, okay, well, actually, I should probably do something about this. <laughs> this is not good. And so the water began to creep into the apartment. And so I was like, well, I don't know if I should open the door. That's going to let a whole lot more water in if this is really, you know, rising up. So I uh, go back in my apartment, and I think, well, I could, like, you know, try to soak up the water and put it in the tub. So I look in the bathroom, and sure enough, the tub and the toilet are filling up with water as well. Like, wait a second. This isn't good. So again, I had the option. Okay, well, I must be dreaming. I'm asleep. You know, did I fall asleep while reading here? Like, what's going on? No, this is actually happening, and I need to do something about it. So I said, okay, well, 
I went through my apartment and put everything that could be damaged by water up on top of things that could not be damaged by water, and so kind of rearranged my apartment quickly and ran outside to see what was going on, and I found the uh, apartment maintenance man. Uh, sure enough, the city of Ankeny's uh, sewage system was backed up, and the rain was filling the drainage system and backing up into our, our lower-level apartments. And so again, I could have made the choice, well, I'm just going to go back to bed. Or I could adapt to the circumstances, and so I said to our maintenance guy, all right, well, what can I do to help? And so he had found some sump pumps, and so we went to the low spots and began pumping water, and so I was up for the rest of the night helping him, trying to get water out of these lower-level apartments as the rain continued to come down, right? The shocking moments of life, you either adapt and work with it, or you reject and deny what's really going on. So too with the message of Christ, that there really is power in His name, that indeed this one died for us and rose again, and that all who believe in His name have their sins forgiven and receive life everlasting. The question is, will you receive that news and believe, or will you resist? This is what the power of the gospel is intended to do. God has given it power. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul there says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel message is powerful. That Jesus died for our sins and rose again and that when we believe on His name, our sin is transferred to His account as paid in full from what He did on the cross in our place. And then God's righteousness in the name of Jesus is transferred to our account. That's power. Forgiven of our sins and granted everlasting life in His name. And so, friend, this brings repentance. Would you believe today in the name of Jesus Christ? Would you have your sins forgiven and understand that there's no other way of salvation than to trust in Jesus, hear the word, receive it, and believe. If you have trusted in Christ as Savior, then friend, I encourage you to know the gospel inside and out, the message of this risen Savior, and what it is specifically, and how you can not only live by the power of His name in your life, but share that message with others, the message that brings repentance and resistance. So know the gospel, share the gospel, trust in the message to do the work. It is the power of God because the good news of Jesus brings repentance. But as we continue in this text, we're going to see number two today that salvation comes only by Jesus' name. Salvation comes only by Jesus' name. Not only does His name, the good news about Jesus, bring repentance, but it's the only way of salvation. This is what Peter and John begin to describe in verses 5 through 12. And I want you to notice the contrast that is drawn here. As he describes this council, you get the idea that these are all, you know, these highfalutin men. They come in with their, their lineage and their power, and they're ready to kind of uh, rule over Peter and John in this scenario. But the contrast is drawn that though they think they have all this power, the real power is in Jesus' name. 
This is sort of the contrast that is drawn. Though they have all this power, they cannot save themselves. Only the name of Jesus can save them. So in verses 5 and 6, the trial comes, and the rulers and elders and scribes are all gathered Verse 6 points out that Annas, the high priest, who was actually the, the retired high priest, was still given a lot of authority, and Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who was technically the current high priest, he's the same two men who presided over Jesus' trial when he went to the cross. Remember, we're, we're only you know, 50 to 60 days after that period of time. And so these are the same guys and the same Sanhedrin that had ruled, uh, that presided in Jesus' fake trial. And so they're all gathered together. The council has gathered. Verse 7, they bring Peter and John into their midst. And notice the focus of the trial in verse 7. By what power or by what name have you done this? They know it's not Peter and John. It's pretty obvious to them. We'll get more clues as to that into the next section here, verse 13. They know it's not Peter and John. And so they want to know... Where did this power come from? By whose authority? That's often the question they're asking when they ask about the name. By whose authority? By whose power have you done this? See, they are very much concerned about power. They know it wasn't their power that healed this man. It wasn't their authority that allowed this to happen. And so they're pressing their authority down on Peter and John. Who do you think you are to do something outside of our power? By whose power did you do this? Peter responds in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a beautiful fulfillment of what Jesus describes in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. There Jesus had promised His disciples, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here Jesus' words are being fulfilled in Peter's life as the Holy Spirit helps him before these powerful, impressive men and uneducated Peter is, you know, what am I going to say? And the Spirit is there giving Peter all he needs to respond. And so Peter very respectfully opens rulers and people and elders of Israel. They are indeed the most powerful people in Israel. If anyone's going to help the nation repent and receive Messiah, it is these leaders of Israel. They're the closest thing to being king over the people of Israel. Verse 9, he sort of, it's an interesting statement here. If we're being judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well. It's kind of like, our let me get this right. Are we really being judged for, being, for healing this man? I mean, is this why we're having a trial? Like we healed the guy and now you're, you're putting us on trial. If that's really why we're here, then let me tell you by whose name we accomplished this miracle. What a great introduction, uh, empowered by the Spirit. So he begins to tell them, let it be known. Verse 10. To you... To all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, and again, this is the very same Sanhedrin that called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And remember, Peter's not shying away here. That's exactly the thing that disturbed these Sadducees and priests, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter holds no punches here by the power of the Holy Spirit. You who crucified Jesus, God raised from the dead. By him, this man was made whole. The end of verse 10, the word whole is used, which is really interesting because it's not simply that he experienced physical healing. I think this is another implication that indeed this lame man had trusted in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation and he was made whole, not just physically, but spiritually as well. So Peter is proclaiming the power of the name of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is alive and is still working powerfully in people's lives, and this healed man is testimony to that. In verse 11, Peter quotes Psalm 118. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And actually, Jesus quoted this verse about himself uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verse 17. That the Messiah would be rejected, but God would vindicate the Messiah and set up the Messiah as this stone, this cornerstone of something new. Now we understand as the New Testament unfolds that this is the cornerstone of the church, the work of Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. The builders of Israel, the rulers, the leaders rejected him, and yet God has made him the chief cornerstone. And so Peter is quoting this to them, and this is just filled with messianic references. He's really encouraging them to believe on Jesus. Don't reject this one. Believe in Jesus Christ. He truly is the Messiah. And so in verse 12, he concludes with this beautiful verse we're familiar with. There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus has power to save. Only by the authority of Jesus Christ. Why? Because only Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose again. Only Jesus paid for our sins and took God's wrath in full. Only Jesus conquered sin and death. And so by His name alone is salvation available. This is the message of Peter to the Sanhedrin. And oh, that they would have repented and trusted in Christ there by the message of the Holy Spirit through Peter. What we learn from this section is that salvation indeed comes only by Jesus' name. And so that's why it's so important that we proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. There is no other means of salvation. Maybe you've had a package mailed to you as signature only. Have you ever received a package that way? Or maybe I should put it this way, tried to receive a package that way? Uh, So I recently had a package sent to me that was signature only. And uh, I didn't realize that it was going to be that way. And so, you know, I was away from the house when the package was attempted to be delivered and uh, came home to find the note on the door. That said, this is a signature-only package. You know, we need you uh, to, to, to sign so that you can receive the package. Now, sometimes with those, there's a little thing on the back of that little post-it note on your door that you can sign, and then they can drop the package. There's nothing like this on this note. And so I thought, well, I'll give it a shot anyway. And so I wrote on the back, please leave package, and then sign my name at the bottom. Right? Put it on my door and left it there for the next 24 hours or whatever. Well, they tried again. No delivery. Another note on the door. Sorry, it must be an in-person signature. We can't leave the package. Okay, all right. 
I'm like, well, how is this going to work? You know, I got to go to work. I can't just stay at home. You know, how's this shuffle? So I'm trying to think through how in the world am I going to get this package? It's rightfully mine. I just want the package that's supposed to come to me. Uh, So I had to wait another day, and they, you know, still no delivery. And all right, well, this is not going to work. So finally, after you know a series of days, I said it will be left at our you know shipping center, and you can go pick it up at our shipping center. So now I'm waiting more days. I get notification, it's at the shipping center, now I can go pick it up. Okay, finally, we're going to get the package. So I go to the shipping center and, you know, line up there and wait in line and get to the front. And, okay, this is my name, I have a package here. Uh, We can't find your package. Okay. (laughs) Well, could you check again? They tried to deliver it a few times. I left a note for them to leave it as signature only. Okay, well, let me check somewhere else. Finally, they find the package. It was tucked in another set of to go back to another shipping center. Okay, well, thankfully I came on that day, and so they, they brought the package to the front. All right, here, sir, here's your package. Uh, could we see some ID? Like, oh, well, I didn't think of that. <laughs> thankfully, I did have my ID with me, but it was one of those moments where I was like, ooh, I didn't think, uh, you know, they probably might ask for ID if it's a signature-only package. So pulled out my ID, showed them my signature, matches the signature here, it is me. And they gave me the package. I mean, this was just like an inexpensive item. I don't know why we had to have all of the, you know, uh, the stuff going on here to get the package. But only I could receive the package. So very secure, well done shipping company. uh, Also quite difficult. So only my name could release the package. And in that moment, I felt quite powerful, right? (laughs) No, in reality, I felt very powerless. There was like no way that I could even get my package. Sometimes somebody's name carries power on an earthly level. And in fact, that's what many of these in the Sanhedrin and the priests and probably even the chief priests thought of themselves, you know, kind of this question, do you know who I am? Have you heard my name? And Peter comes to them and says, no, it doesn't matter what position you have or what name you have, there's salvation in one name alone, the name of of Jesus Christ. Earthly power and influence are not enough. These priests had about the highest position possible within Israel except for the except for the king or except for Rome. They were unwilling to relinquish their position to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, friend, I just encourage you, whatever influence you have, whatever claims of fame you have to your name, they are not enough to cleanse your sin. And earn the righteousness of God and a position in His heaven, His kingdom. Only in the name of Jesus Christ, you must be born again. Religious positions are not enough. You may have some religious title like deacon or pastor. It's not enough. Whatever you've done to serve in the church, it's all good. But it's not enough. Only in the name of Jesus Christ Can you be saved? Other religions are not enough. Only Jesus. So I wonder if you're relying on Jesus' name. He's our only claim. He's the name in which we live the Christian life as well. Not just for salvation, but it's in His name that we experience power in the Christian life. That's why we close our prayers with, in Jesus' name. Because, friends, we have no rights to come before the Father's throne, but by Jesus. And when we sin, 
It's true that we don't deserve the kindness of God, but we remember, oh, I'm in His name, meaning He took my sin and gave me His righteousness. And so we have power to be forgiven and to forgive in Jesus' name. You see, all the power of the Christian life comes in Jesus' name. That whatever you're facing today, when you go to God and ask for help, Praise God, it's not based on whether you deserve that help. But you come in the name of His Son. And so He hears you and He loves you. Aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus Christ? And there is salvation nowhere else. In the next section, we learn number three today, the saving power of Jesus' name is undeniable. Undeniable. It's just... Luke, as he writes here, highlights over and over. You'll notice as we go through this section that they just, they can't deny what's happened. They can't speak against it. They can't talk. It was just like obvious what has happened. The water's coming in the front door. It's obvious, but they resist. They resist. You see, the power of Jesus' name is undeniable. Notice what happens in this section. Verse 13 the first evidence of God's power that is undeniable, the transformed lives of Peter and John. As they stand before them, the Sanhedrin is kind of saying to themselves, well, these guys aren't educated, they're, they're untrained. And the two words are quite insulting, actually. The first one means they're illiterate, which we know they weren't illiterate, right? Peter wrote a number of uh, books of the New Testament, so that one's insulting. The second one, well, let me just pronounce for you how we think the Greek word would be pronounced idiotai. That's the second word there. It's not an exact same meaning as our word idiot today, but you get the sense. So they recognize that these guys are not highly trained, and yet they notice that something powerful is happening here. It's undeniable that their lives have been changed. In fact, at the end of verse 13, I just love this statement. The Sanhedrin realizes that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus had rubbed off on them. They'd been successfully discipled by Jesus Christ. And as they speak, two things are clear. Number one, this is not of their own power and strength and ability. Number two, they've been with Jesus. They've been trained. They'd listen. I think a cool example of that is that now Peter is quoting Psalm 118 just like Jesus did. Where did he learn that? <laughs> From Jesus. You see, these guys had learned. They'd been with him. Jesus had rubbed off on them, and their transformed lives are the first undeniable proof of the saving power of Jesus' name. The next undeniable truth is the saved and transformed lame man. Verse 14, they see him there. He's standing there. They can't deny the fact that this was the guy that for 40 years sat outside this gate. We know what he looks like. (laughs) And now he's standing. His ankles aren't deformed any longer. And he's been saved. He's been made whole. And so another undeniable proof of the power of Jesus Christ And so they say to one another in verse 14, they can say nothing against it. 
And so in verse 15, they command Peter and John to leave the council. They need to discuss this. We, we need to talk. We need to figure this out. Get them out of here. We've got to have some discussion with one another. And so verse 15, they begin talking and conferring among themselves. Verse 16, what are we going to do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. And it's evident to everyone who dwells in Jerusalem. So again, I'm suspecting that this you know, 5,000 is even a lot more, including women and children, because so many in Jerusalem saw what happened and believed. I mean, they can't deny it. And so the question they're asking is not what's right here, but what do we do to these men? And you can see the resistance to the truth. Verse 17, they don't want... The news, the power of Jesus' name to spread any further. And so they say, okay, come up with this great plan. We'll we'll severely threaten them and tell them not to speak in this name any longer. Great plan, guys. So verse 18, they call Peter and John back in. And they command them sternly, don't speak in the name of Jesus any longer. And I love Uh, Peter's response, and we'll come to that in our next section. But what we see in 13 through 17 is the undeniable saving power of Jesus. These guys, what's happened here, God has done this in such a way that is so clear the resistance of the Sanhedrin is not logical. It's not reasonable to deny Christ. This is pure, hard-hearted rejection of of the power and salvation of God in Jesus. They don't want it. They don't want to give up their authority and power with Rome, and so they reject it. If they were thinking logically, they would accept what they're saying from their mouths they cannot deny. (laughs) But they won't. They won't. And so we rejoice that the saving power of Jesus' name is undeniable. It's like, the, it's like the child who comes to their parents with, you know, chocolate all over the mouth. No, I didn't eat the chocolate donut. Really? You just smeared it all over your face, huh? Okay. <laughs> Some things are just undeniable. And one of the jobs I had, I, I worked at Faith Baptist Bible College, college over in Ankeny, and I was on our, our gym maintenance crew, and so we set up chairs and teared down chairs and set up for basketball games and all of that. And I set up for one basketball game, and uh, we had just gotten brand new chairs for the team benches. And uh, they had our new logo on them. They were this nice kind of leathery material, real thick padding, logo on the seat, nice, you know, I mean, these are like professional chairs. They were awesome. And so we'd just gotten them. We're real proud of these things. And so I'm setting these chairs out, and I noticed some Sharpie marker writing on the back of the, one of the cushiony seats. I'm like, oh no, you got to be kidding me already. This has happened. Who in the world did this? And I began to look more closely at, uh, at the letters uh, on the chair. And uh, the, the, the three letters written there happened to be the first three letters of the name of the child of one of the school employees, a child that uh, often played in the gym and was there frequently. So I began to think, hmm, put my detective skills to work, and I'm like, I wonder if this is who did this. And so I 
went to the parent of the child who was an employee there, and I said, hey, I, I don't know that this is what happened, but here's what I found on the chair. And he confirmed, yes, that's my son's handwriting. <laughs> so <laughs> it probably was him. Now, I don't think he got in too much trouble. We scrubbed hard to try to get uh, the writing off the chair. But uh, it was an interesting example of a pretty clear uh, who did this kind of scenario. It was undeniable. And thankfully, he did not deny that he had done it. There are certain things in life that are just obvious. They're clear. They're undeniable. The saving power of Jesus Christ is one of those things. And as the Sanhedrin begins to wrestle with this, they deny what is undeniable. I wonder if it's clear in your life that you've been with Jesus. Is it undeniable? Would someone look at you and say, well, I know I'm not seeing them, but I can't deny that there's some kind of change going on there. They're growing. They're making progress. I see patience that I can't explain on a human level. I see love that doesn't make sense based on the scenario. There's really no reason they should have forgiven me for what I did. There are things that are unexplainable apart from the undeniable work of Christ in our lives. Is it clear we've been with Jesus? Are you noticing the undeniable power of Christ in the lives of others? Do you see Him at work and notice it and point it out? See, God is at work and the power of Christ is indeed undeniable. As we come to the last section, number four today, we see this. It's right to share what God has done in Jesus' name. It's right to share what God has done in Jesus' name. So, In verse 17, where we left off, the Sanhedrin has come with their threats to Peter and John. Don't you dare. I mean, I don't know exactly what they said, but don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Threatened by the the Jewish power in control there. And Peter's response in the following verses, 19 and following, is, is wonderful. He says first, they answer them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Peter has done two things by his response. This is wonderful. Number one, he's made it clear that they're not on the same page with God. Right? Here's the scenario you've set me up with, Sanhedrin. I either obey you or I obey God. What do you think is right? You judge. Now, he's also put them in a position of something they can't disagree with, right? Right? Because, of course, the Sanhedrin is going to say, well, of course, obey God. We're, we're on God's side, you know. So it's a wonderful response from Peter. And, of course, Peter and John must continue to preach what is undeniable, the power of God at work. They must bear witness. And so that's what he says in verse 20. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They must testify. It is right before God for them to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. It is right for them to do that. 
So verses 21 and 22 conclude the section. They threaten them even more. I, I don't know what they said to them. Finally, they let them go. There's no way of punishing them because the thousands of people who have seen the miracle and are glorifying God for it. And so again, a lot of their power comes from the people and they don't want to risk losing the, uh, the love of the people, so to speak. And so if they punish Peter and John and the people are glorifying God for this miracle, it's not going to work together. So they, they're stuck. They have to just let them go with a threat. The man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed, and the people are praising God for what had done. So you see the right response of the people. They're, they're speaking of it. They're praising God for what He has done by His power. They're sharing it with one another. They're rejoicing, and the Sanhedrin is doing the opposite. Shh! Stop speaking in Jesus' name. And Peter just makes it clear. <laughs> You want me to listen to you or do you want me to listen to God? And it's right before God for us to speak of what he has done in Christ. And so they continue on. It is right for us to share what God has done in Jesus' name. And so, friends, I encourage you to be prepared to share your testimony. This is a wonderful and powerful way to share the good news about Jesus, to be ready. If you've trusted in Christ as Savior, if God has saved you from your sin in the name of Jesus Christ, are you ready to share that story, that news of the power of God with someone else? Are you ready to tell them exactly what it is that God did in Jesus Christ by saving you from your sins? This also involves sharing what God is doing in our lives, sometimes in the past, how how He has been faithful, how His power has come through over and over and over again, or to tell what God is doing in our lives more recently, how He's been growing you, or what sin He's helping you to put off, or what temptation you're facing and He's giving you strength, or what aspects of Christ's character you're seeking to put on or what scripture you're memorizing, or how God has softened your heart recently, or what opportunities He's given you to forgive and reconcile with people in your life, or where you are intentionally trusting in Christ when you're tempted to worry. Where have you seen God's power at work in your life and in the lives of others? And are we sharing these things, talking about the power of Jesus' name? It's right. As Peter says, we can't help but share what we have seen and heard. Friends, the the message of salvation in Jesus' name is urgent and it's important. There's a uh, satirical news organization that puts out fictional, funny articles from time to time. One article is titled this way. Again, fictional, sort of. World death rate holding steady at 100%. The article goes on to say, The World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that despite enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. 
Death, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern. Responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide, the condition has no cure. Quote, I was really hoping with uh, what with all those new radiology treatments, rescue helicopters, aerobic TV, TV shows, and what have you, that we might at least make a dent in this year, WHO Director General Dr. Gernst Blatt said. Unfortunately, it would appear that the death rate remains constant and total, as it has inviably since the dawn of time. It's humorous, and yet it's true. We face death as a reality, but there is one who has conquered death. And though we may experience the first death, physical death, we trust in a Savior who has conquered the second death. He has conquered death itself. And those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ find not only forgiveness of sins, but life evermore. Friends, we have the cure to death. And though we may die in this life, we who have trusted in Christ will live forevermore with Him. Because He lived and gave His life for us and rose again from the grave and offer salvation to anyone who will believe in his name. Are you ready to take the message, the power of Jesus' name, to a world that is indeed dying and needs to know that there is not salvation in any other, but only in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to share? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you for just by your gracious kindness offering to unite us to his name by faith that when we trust in Christ as Savior, the incredible resurrection power of Jesus Christ gives life to this dead soul and unites me to him that my sins might be washed away and that I might receive his righteousness. I praise you for the truths of the gospel and the power of Jesus' name. Father, as a people, we ask that you would continue to transform us by the power of his name, that daily, more and more, we would look like Jesus, that a dying world would see the light of Christ in this body of believers and in our lives, and you'd give us open doors to share the power of Jesus' name, the message of the gospel, that many would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this all for your glory and in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.